Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the first Quantum Minerals Quarterly Results Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Bonita Toe, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Ms. Toe. Thank you, Operator. Hello, and thank you, everybody, for joining for Quantum's fourth quarter and 2021 year-end conference call. On our call today will be Tristan Pascal, our Chief Operating Officer, who will provide an overview of the operations and performance during the quarter. We will be followed by Hannes Mayer, our Chief Financial Officer, who will review the results of the financial results. Tristan will wrap things up with an overview of our strategic priorities, and after that, we'll open up the lines to take questions. Before I hand it over to Tristan, there are a few items to mention. A copy of today's presentation can be found on our website. This event is also being recorded, and a replay will be available. As well, all dollar amounts mentioned today are in U.S. dollars, unless otherwise noted. And finally, today's presentation may contain forward-looking statements, so I encourage you to review by two of our presentation. And with that, I will hand it over to you, Tristan. Thank you, Benita. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on our call to discuss the fourth quarter and year-end results. Despite the ongoing challenges of the global pandemic, First Quantum was able to deliver another year of solid copper production growth with a record amount of copper produced for the 2021 year. We ended the year in a strong position as fourth quarter results benefited from continued strong copper prices, the rolling off of our hedge book, and continued strong operational performance. This enabled us to continue to deliver on our ongoing commitment of reducing debt, which Hannes will speak to you more in his presentation today. Before going into the operational performance during the quarter, I would like to begin with updates to other commitments we made last quarter and also to provide some commentary on discussions with our host governments in the countries we operate. I am pleased that since our last quarterly call, First Quantum was able to deliver on two significant commitments. Firstly, on January 17, we announced that we have set targets to reduce our Scope 1 and Scope 2 greenhouse gas emissions by 30% by 2025 and by 50% by 2030. And we have provided more information on these targets in the TCFD aligned climate change report available on our website. It was important to us to set targets based on real tangible solutions. And we are pleased that the solutions identified are not expected to result in significant incremental capital or operating costs and do not rely on the use of offsets to achieve these targets. First Quantum is now well positioned to deliver the copper that is essential to meet the global challenges posed by climate change with a significantly lower carbon footprint. Another announcement made the same day was that of a cautious but more meaningful dividend framework for our shareholders. This policy, which Hannes will also discuss in more detail, highlights our confidence in the strong outlook for the business. Moving on to discussions in our host countries. In Zambia, 
discussions with the government of Zambia are focused on ensuring that the appropriate and enduring investment conditions exist for First Quantum to advance the Consanchi S3 expansion and the Enterprise Nickel project. The removal of the non-deductibilities of royalties for tax purposes, which became effective at the start of this year, was an important step towards the approval of these projects. Also, the discussions are seeking an agreed mechanisms for repayment of VAT owed to the company and for predictable returns in the future. These discussions continue to be constructive, such that we are hopeful that we can advance both these projects this year as reflected in our guidance. In Panama, discussions with the government are ongoing. During January 2022, the government of Panama tabled a new proposal, namely that the government of Panama should receive 375 million US dollars in benefits per year from Cobra Panama and that the existing revenue royalty would be replaced by a gross profit royalty. The parties continue to finalise the details behind these principles, including the appropriate mechanics that would achieve the desired outcome, the necessary protections to the company's business for downside copper price and production scenarios, and to ensure that the new contract and legislation are both durable and sustainable. We continue to welcome the transparency of the robust ministerial commission process and we are hopeful that we can conclude this matter shortly. Once an agreement is, in, is concluded and the full contract is documented, it is expected that the newly drafted legislation would be put to the National Assembly. Turning to our operations for the full year 2021, First Quantum achieved its highest ever annual copper production of 816,435 tonnes attributable to record-breaking production at Cobra Panama and the resilience of our other operations in dealing with the ongoing challenges brought about by COVID-19. For the fourth quarter, total copper production was 201,823 tonnes, down 4% quarter over quarter on lower production at Cobra Panama, whilst Consanchi and Sentinel continued at consistent production levels. The difficult shipping environment on containerised shipping capacity that we experienced in Q3 continued into the fourth quarter. This had an impact on our sales and shipments out of Zambia in particular and are expected to continue throughout the first quarter of 2022. The majority of the company's products are transported in bulk and this sector has been less affected by shipping constraints. Cobra Panama's performance of 331,000 tonnes over the year was strong exceeding initial 2021 guidance and achieving the top end of our revised guidance. In Q4, production was down 8% quarter over quarter to 80,000 tonnes on expected lower ore grades and an unplanned seven-day shutdown of Unit 2 of the power plant, which impacted mill tonnage. There was also planned maintenance on Unit 1 at the power plant during the quarter, which was completed at the end of January. Year-to-date production has also been affected by two mill relines in January at Cobra Panama. Looking ahead, mill throughput is expected to ramp up over the course of 2022 to achieve between 85 and 90 million tonnes for the year. Grades and recoveries are expected to be consistent with 2021 levels, but will fluctuate from quarter to quarter. With the recent escalation in global energy prices, it is worth noting that we had increased exposure to spot prices for electricity in Panama during the fourth quarter while we had the planned maintenance to Unit 1. However, with the maintenance complete, costs are already moving back in line with the collar on coal prices for the mine. 
This prevents further exposure to increases in the coal price until December 2023. Constantia achieved copper production of 202,000 tonnes in 2021, reflecting the reduction in oxide ore and the ongoing challenge of the selective high ore grade methodology at Constantia in advance of the approval of the S3 project. Q4 was another consistent quarter, delivering copper production of 52,000 tonnes, as a slight decline in throughput was offset by improved grades. Looking ahead for 2022, process ore at Constantia is expected to be slightly higher compared to 2021. However, grades are expected to decline over the course of the year from Q4 2021 levels. Sentinel achieved copper production of 233,000 tonnes for the full year. Despite a ball mill trunnion failure in Q1 last year and a lower grade profile relative to 2020. In Q4, Sentinel produced over 60,000 tonnes of copper as record quarterly throughput rate equivalent to 60 million tonnes per, per annum offset lower grades in the quarter. The installation of the fourth in-pit crusher at Sentinel has been completed, which is expected to enable the process plant to achieve throughput rates equivalent to 62 million tonnes per annum. On slides 9 and 10, we provide information on our three-year guidance. For 2022, we are guiding for 810 to 880,000 tonnes of copper production. 2022, however, has so far got off to a slow start. At Cobra Panama, as I noted earlier, the quarter was impacted by a seven-day unplanned shutdown of the second unit at the power plant, as well as two mill relines in January. The tight containerised shipping environment continues to be felt in the first quarter, which impacts our anode shipments out of Zambia. At Sentinel, the first quarter will be a ramp-up period towards 62 million tonnes per annum and was impacted by lower grades, while 2022 is expected to have a slightly higher grade profile overall. We will not see this improvement until after the first quarter. Our three-year production guidance includes completion of the CP100 expansion in 2023 and Cobra Panama operating at 100 million tonnes per annum from 2024 onwards. While S3 remains subject to board approval, we have included limited production from S3 in 2024. Likewise, Enterprise is also subject to board approval. Our guidance includes first nickel production from Enterprise in 2023. We also show Ravensthorpe ramping up to 25 to 30,000 tonnes of nickel production, supported by the completion of the Shoemaker Levy project in Q4 last year. With regard to CapEx, approximately $2.2 billion will be spent over the three-year period, of which $1 billion relates to Consanchi, the S3 project, $830 million to Cobra Panama, and $60 million to Enterprise, and $15 million to our Guel McGrain project in Mauritania. The ongoing challenges presented by the global pandemic have continued throughout the first quarter, with the Omicron variant present on several sites. Fortunately, our employees and communities are not experiencing as severe symptoms from this wave as with previous variants. The company continues to employ measures to ensure minimal spread and the health and well-being of our workforce continues to be a priority, including maximising vaccination rates and boost, booster vaccination campaigns for 2022. After the huge efforts by personnel across 2020 and 2021 in dealing with the impact of the pandemic to operations, we are investing in our people to support them and ensure retention of staff. At Cobra Panama, our CapEx guidance includes new expenditure to upgrade camp. I think Tristan's been cut off, so I'll continue and then hand over to Hannes. 
We also remain focused on the ongoing importance of our community support during the ongoing pandemic, not just in order to mitigate the impacts of COVID-19, but also in greater community outreach. In the fourth quarter, we were delighted to launch our BBN Community Health Program in the northwestern province of Zambia. This initiative will support the Zambian government in providing essential health services to the communities around our Sentinel and Kinsanchi mines through 182 schools and health facilities as we seek to improve the health of our host communities. Staying in Zambia, I'm pleased to highlight the fantastic collaboration between the team at Sentinel and the local communities in the construction of new infrastructure to serve local villages. After the previous wood bridges collapsed, we worked with the Chapawa village to build two new bridges so that the community will not need to wade through flowing rivers to access their farmland. Our school and sports programs in Zambia are very popular. I'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate the 24 students who were awarded full scholarships at Sentinel, as well as the Kentanchi netball team who triumphed in the Northwestern Copper Belt Regional Tournament. Moving to Panama, I commend the team at Alcobra Panama Mine for their support for the Girl Up Club, a UN-founded movement that provides training and support to empower young women in surrounding communities and provide them with the skills and opportunities to become future leaders. And with that, I'll turn over to Hannes, and then Tristan will be back in a few minutes to wrap things up. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I'd like to direct you to a slide titled Financial Overview, slide 12. The financial performance in the quarter was driven by higher metal prices together with strong operational performance, which resulted in significant increase in net earnings and EBITDA, as well as a notable further reduction in net debt. Gross profit of $2.6 billion and EBITDA of $3.7 billion for the full year were substantially higher than 2020, attributable to an increased sales volumes at Cobre Panama, as well as a 33% increase in realized copper price. Net earnings attributable to shareholders of the company of $832 million and adjusted earnings of $826 million represented a significant improvement from last year. Net earnings included $159 million of foreign exchange gains, largely unrealized, primarily due to the appreciation of the Zambia Quacha against the US dollar in the third quarter. Net earnings also include a total impairment charge of $44 million. Cash flow from operating activities of $2.9 billion represent a $1.3 billion or 79% increase from the prior year. Copper C1 cash cost of $1.30 per pound was $0.09 cents per pound higher than 2020, impacted by higher fuel costs and freight charges, together with the cessation of the up and pit mining at Las Cruces. Net debt decreased $1.4 billion over the last 12 months, and by $1.6 billion since June 2020. Sorry about this, everyone. We're having some challenges with phone lines. Hey, I'll, I'll finish things off, but thank you to Hannes for those comments. While it was pleasing to announce our emissions targets, a new dividend framework and a new debt reduction target at our capital markets today, delivering on growth also continues to be a priority and reinvestment in the business remains central to our business strategy. At Cobra Panama, the AP100 expansion is now well underway with construction already at around 
fleet. In Q4, a letter of intent was signed for renewable power, being hydroelectricity sourced from the Panamanian grid for the CP100 expansion. The process plant expansion includes a new screening facility, process water upgrades, and the addition of a sixth formula. In 2022, the company expects to expand the fleet by adding a fifth rope shovel and eight additional ultra-class haul trucks. The plans also include developing the Kalina Pit and its associated overland conveyor and in-pit crushing facilities. Completion of construction works and commencement of commissioning is targeted for the first quarter of 2023 to allow for a ramp-up of production over the course of the year and achieve a throughput rate of 100 million tonnes per annum by the end of 2023 and will add an additional 50 to 60,000 tonnes of copper to our production profile. We also plan to provide a 43101 reserve and resource update for Cobra Panama later in this year. On S3, as noted earlier, the expansion is awaiting board approval and discussions with the government remain constructive. S3 involves a 25 million tonne per annum expansion of the sulphide ore processing facility, increasing annual throughput to 53 million tonnes per annum. The S3 expansion would also involve a new larger mining fleet and combined with a standalone 25 million tonne per annum processing plant is expected to create efficiencies and economies of scale. With much of initial foundation and steelworks already in place from prior activity, the majority of remaining construction of the S3 plants and pre-strip activities of the Southeast Dome is expected to take place in 2023 and 2024. Once built, S3 will increase Consanchi's annual throughput to well over 50 million tonnes per annum and ensure production levels remain strong for more than 20 years. At the Enterprise Project, we are also awaiting board approval. For the most part, the Enterprise Project has already been built as part of the original Sentinel construction of the process plant, and the remaining capital spending is modest at $60 million and mostly comprised of pre-strip work, which is expected to take approximately 12 months to complete. The project has the potential to add 30,000 tonnes per annum of nickel production per year, and our current guidance assumes first production in 2023. There is also flexibility to target higher grade portions of the ore body that allow for a substantial increase in production should the nickel price spike during the life of the mine. We are very pleased to provide a 43101 resource update for the Las Cruces underground project in January and expect to provide a reserve update later this year, which should also provide more detailed CapEx and OpEx estimates. The resource has contained copper equivalent of approximately 900,000 tonnes, similar in scale to the original open pit ore body. The project also has the benefits of an established relationship with local communities, an experienced workforce, existing infrastructure and environmental permitting uh, and mining permitting in place. The key pending water authorisation is expected to be granted in 2022. This project has the potential to add approximately 45,000 tonnes of copper equivalent annually to our production profile. These four brownfield projects have us on track to produce around a million tonnes of copper per annum, while at the same time, same time allowing us to continue our financial discipline in reducing debt and returning capital to our shareholders. Our portfolio of growth options include several major greenfield opportunities as well, notably Takataka and Nakira. Work continues on both of these projects and we're excited about the long-term optionality that these projects offer. 
We are proud of the project pipeline ahead of us at First Conference. In coming months, we look forward to sharing with you more detail on Taka Taka through a virtual site tour and hopefully an in-person tour at Cobra Panama later in the year so that you can see the progress firsthand. Finally, I would like to thank all our people once again. I'm proud of our workforce in executing in a safe and sustainable manner in the face of ongoing challenges that continue from the COVID-19 pandemic as well as their generous efforts and commitment to ensure that extremely important livelihood programs to support the local communities continue. Operator, we would now be happy to take questions. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star 2. So please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. We please ask that you limit yourselves to one question and one follow-up. There will be a brief and pause Tristan, while the participants register. And Tristan Bonita, we are back online again. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything, from T-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets, and of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days. Like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection, or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Thank you. So the first question is from Greg Barnes from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> Tristan, obviously with the power plant partly down during Q4, you saw your costs go up at Cobra Panama, but over the coming years, as you shift off away from the power plant and onto the grid, do you expect to see an increase in your power rates at Cobra? And obviously, that would push up costs as well over the longer term. Thanks, Greg. Uh, and it's a good question. So, yes, you saw in our Q1s, uh, in the Q4 C1 costs that rise, and we indicated around $0.10 cents a pound. A lot of that was from exposure uh, to the national grid. There were a number of po um, positives around that. First of all, that we were able to draw uh, well over 150 megawatts uh, for the first time uh, down uh, 
down the uh, transmission line, uh, which provided adequate for us to run more than half of the process plant. Um, but yes, we did see exposure. Uh, generally, October, November, December have been good months for hydroelectricity production and renewable energy in, in Panama. Uh, this year was somewhat different uh, and somewhat of a surprise. Um, there were some other power plants that uh, were, were also undergoing maintenance at the same time, and all of that combined did push up power prices in the country. So I think we reached a peak at the 31st of January at around 192 or 193 thereabouts per megawatt um, per megawatt hour for power in Panama. Um, the, the, the thrust of your question is, is to whether when we contract power would we be looking at rates similar to that or, or, or those sort of levels of spot. And I think the answer to that is this was a peak condition and we would be looking to offtake renewable power on a long-term contract basis uh, and seeking to ensure that those that the rates were enshrined in that contract. And as we said before, we had indications of those pricing levels and don't expect them to be significantly different um, you know, from the levels of, that we were able to generate at using coal once we add in the financing costs uh, and depreciation costs of the power plant. Just, thanks, thanks, Tristan. Just shifting to Zambia. In the MDNA, you highlight the government has suggested they could incrementally look over time at uh, changing the royalty rates, and there wasn't much detail around that. Can you provide some commentary about what what their shift is or what they're thinking on that is? Yeah, so Greg, we had some very good conversations um, with the government of Zambia um, in the last month or so, and, and the full team from First Quantum has been out and, and speaking to the President, His Excellency Hakienda Hichilema, and then the, the team that's been appointed to, um, to to go through these topics. Look, I think uh, at the moment we're not too focused on the royalty. It's really around ensuring a durable and, and lasting environment in Zambia uh, that we could look at investing a billion dollars at S3, uh, and that's the, the key consideration. But looking forward, as we note, um, the country's uh, targets uh, and their stated intent to triple copper production up to around 3 million tonnes, the government itself has said that they will need to, need to look at the enabling environment, uh, and that would include royalties in terms of attracting that level of investment into the country. And the good news is that has been done before. It was done in Chile between 1991 and 2001, where they tripled copper production from 1.5 million tonnes per annum to four and a half million tonnes per annum, and that was off the basis of uh, the Chilean, you know, the changes to uh, legislation in Chile, which, which provided for that level of investment in the country. Uh, and so I think that's the nature of, of the comment, um, but really that's a decision for the government of Zambia, uh, and certainly we would be supportive and be looking to invest in S3 once we get the right conditions uh, that provide for a, a durable period there. Thank you. The next question is from Oris Wakarau from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, just following up on Greg's question on uh, Cobra Panama, can you walk us through kind of what happened with the power plant? It sounds like there was both planned and then unplanned outages at the plant. I'm wondering also if there are any scheduled power plant outages moving forward for this year. 
Yeah, sure, Oris. Thanks. So the answer is yes. The major shut was a scheduled shut. It happens every two years on each of the power plants in sequence. And so we would be doing a similar shut on Unit 2 this year, um, around November, December. Uh, that, that shut related to a major inspection across the plant and normally would take around 30 days. What happened then was we, we did some regular checking of the rotor, um, the turbine, and uh, using the in-camera system, we found some foreign objects on the rotor uh, and went investigated further. Uh, we also had done some work um, looking, as we did in the detailed inspection across the, the boiler, we also found an area where we had some uh, erosion from the soot blowers on the, power, on, on the boiler, and so it was appropriate, uh, and we made the decision to go and also check that at Unit 2. And that was the reason for the unplanned seven-day shut at Unit 2, was we went and checked um, the soot blowers on Unit 2 to ensure that, um, that if there was erosion there, it was well in hand. And the answer to that was it was fine. Uh, we made some changes and, and we, um, we sorted that situation out on Unit 2 during that seven-day unplanned shut. So it was the lessons from Unit 1 that we took across. All of that work was completed and... The, the foreign particles in, in Unit 1 have, were fine. We'd been running like that uh, under conditions since March this year. We noticed a drop-off with an efficiency, uh, and, and it was really the establishment of what had caused that drop-off with inefficiency. What that did mean is it took an extra period of time into January this year to bring in the, um, the, the people from Skoda Dusan, uh, came in with the, the COVID protocols and so on to come into the country. It took some time but then to go through a very uh, measured um, process to, to, to do the maintenance and repair that, that situation, which was done very well. In fact, the team on site established uh, a new protocol for SCOTA DUSAN um, that had not been done before, and now will be taken the standard for SCOTA DUSAN. Uh, so a very good step forward and, and well done by the, the first quantum team there, uh, Cobra Panama. Uh, but the power plant was re energized and resynchronized to the grid on the 31st of January and has been and, and it's now running at, at full um, full production level and we no longer have that efficiency dip that we saw in come through in March this year okay so you know does that mean we should anticipate sort of elevated unit costs then in Q1 and Q4 of this year as you're drawing grid power so yes there'll be an impact to Q1 this year because we had that period where you know we we continued with unit one down and we we were drawing from the grid. Our hope would be October November this year when we do take off unit two um, for a scheduled maintenance period that the um, you know that there will be adequate rainfall in the country and there'll be adequate wind. We just had a culmination of of uh, factors this year, um, lower wind. Uh, and lower rainfall during which is usually the, the sort of peak rainfall period and that was the reason for the higher, um, higher spot prices at that time. Um, so we would anticipate October, November that if, the, if renewables are strong um, then we shouldn't see um, the elevated prices. And then just finally, your M the MD&A talks about variable grades quarter, quarter at Cobra Panama. Um, can you give us a sense of like, does the mine plan start off with lower grades and, and then they improve during the year, or are they truly sort of all over the place on a quarterly basis? 
you know, or it's, it's really large volumes that are, are being mined that uh, most suit the movement of shovels and the movement of the pit over the broader, the longer time periods, longer time horizons. Um, so we do see the fluctuations, but this, you know, so that it's up and down. Um, but as we said in in the, uh, in the MDMA, you know, over the over the year, we should be at a consistent level toward this life of mine. John Gregory, I'm not sure if you wanted to comment any further on on grey profile at Cobra Panama. Um, all right, it's John here. Just to confirm, for, for the overall plan for the year, we are very confident about how much copper we will produce on a month-by-month month and hence quarter-by-quarter. Quarter. There are fluctuations that do come into the mining practice due to equipment deployment um, and rock condition, blasting availability and blasted stock. So we, we do expect to see a degree of fluctuation, but over the year, um, we will achieve the, the goals and the guidance that we've put forward. Thank you. The next question is from Jackie Prezbolowski from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks very much, and thanks for the call. Uh, I just wanted to ask a question about the tax guidance that you gave uh, in the MDNA, um, you, you're saying that the tax rate for 2022 is, is expected to be between 20 and 25 percent, which is significantly lower than the 31 percent for 2021. Um, I know that doesn't include any of the Law 9 changes that have been talked about. Um, is, is it possible for you to give us some kind of sensitivity with the uh, proposals that, and I know it's not set in stone yet, but with the proposals that have been um, discussed? So far, do you expect the tax rate, effective tax rate, would be closer to that 31% that you uh, that you saw in 2021? Hi, Jackie. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, the, the change in tax rate would, and, and the reason for that comment, uh, really the biggest change over the last year was um, the impact of the non-deductibility of the the Zambian royalty uh, regime, but then also hedge losses as well on our books. So the lower effective tax rate in 2022 is is related to those fiscal changes in that year, which took effect on 1 January this year. Um, and as you say, we haven't put through uh, anything on more than nine at this stage. It's really too early to say, and, and a few moving parts there. Um, if we get to a conclusion on that agreement, we'll, we'll be able to provide better guidance on, on what the effective tax rate will be in Panama. But Juliet, I don't know whether you had any comments on the Zambian tax rate and the impact on, on to our overall uh, tax rate. No, I, th I think you summed it up very nicely, um, Tristan. It, 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 is, it is really, you know, why we're having that step down to 20 to 25 is, is uh, you know, that non-deductible uh, royalty, the impact there. But also, you know, we don't have... Uh, uh, that for the hedge program and, and, and the loss there that we, that we had before. And so, you know, it, it comes out at, at that much lower rate. Thanks, Juliet. Thanks, thanks Tristan. And, and uh, maybe just following up on Greg Barnes's question from earlier about um, about Zambia, I know you mentioned that um, that you would be looking to sanction the Consanchi S3 once we had some stability or, or understanding about the royalties. You didn't mention enterprise. Um, what, what's the trigger uh, today? What would be the trigger for sanctioning enterprise? Yeah, thanks, Jackie. And it, it, it's a good question.
question. Enterprise is an earlier, uh, easier decision for us. It's, it's really $60 million uh, capital outlay exposure there. It's very much less capital intensive. Obviously, um, that the original enterprise process plant has already been built and, and that's largely a sunk cost uh, to the other side. The, the decision there does still link into the broader conversations with government and I think it's important we at least see a path forward in those discussions. So in terms of trigger point, we would like to get to that as, as soon as we can, um, but we would like to make sure that uh, you know there's a clear indication as, as to the direction of travel and I think we've seen that in the narrative from government and also in terms of the non-deductibilities which kicked in on 1 January, um, but you know the broader issues remain and we'd really like to get some direction on that before we, we make that commitment. I, I would hope that we're able to get those um, relatively soon and as I said, there's been a lot of conversation and a large team from First Quantum uh, in country with the Zambian government and, and the designated um, group to discuss those, those points. Thanks very much. I think that's my allocated two questions, so I will leave, uh, leave it to somebody else. Thank you. Thank you. The next question is from Abby Agarwal from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. Uh, thanks, team, uh, for, the, for the details and the call. I had a couple of questions, uh, please. Uh, I'll take them one by one. Uh, the first question uh, is a follow-up uh, to the Cobra cost. So even if you adjust for the one-off uh, $0.10 cent, uh, 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 cost, we, cost block we had, the, the C1 cash cost still went up by around 16% Q1Q. Were there any, tra any other transitory factors you expect to roll off as you move further into 2022? That's my first question. Thanks, Abby. Uh, well, the first thing to note is we, we also had slightly lower copper production results on a unit cost basis that's and we had an impact. The other changes that were in there really related to fuel costs, uh, consumables, uh, reagents and so on. And so there was some inflationary impact of that uh, and also on, on shipping. Um, yeah, I think those are the major factors. There isn't anything else that I'm aware of. Juliet, I'm missing something there. I think those are the major ones. No, yeah, no, you picked that up uh, fully, Tristan. That's great. Got it. Thank you. The the second question I had is on Pamela. So there was a recent article uh, which suggested that the Panamanian government is looking to propose the transformation of the power plant to renewables as soon as by 2023. Can you can you can you please comment on that? Also, can you remind us of your current plan there and what capex have you earmarked for the transition, uh, for the long-term transition of the plant? Thank you. Sure, Abby. So, yeah, the current plan is that we would, uh, so the first stage is the 60 to 80 megawatts, which is required for the 100 million ton per annum increment um, for the CP100 expansion. And that, uh, we have a letter of intent signed for that component that will be 100% renewable so, uh, and, and purchased from third parties, so there's no capital uh, cost there. And the price of that, we believe, is in line with, with where we are on a um, fully financed basis for the, the coal-fired power station cost. The second phase is um, by 2025, we would look to uh, reduce our overall group emissions by 30%, and that's around taking one of the, the units 
uh, offline and replacing that with renewable. And we have solid indication that's available from hydroelectric sources uh, on an average across the year, but with some months of the year that are lower or, 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 or less availability in some months of the year. And that the third phase is um, by 2030 that will take off the second unit again um, with those limitations, uh, but that would need to be replaced by a combination of, of gas and other renewables alongside hydro. So it is expected we'll need some base level, uh, and, and for that reason we say the coal-fired power station is probably needed um, to underline a base load capacity in, in Panama until a longer-term solution is in place. In terms of um, the first part of your question, and, and that related to the Minister of Energy's uh, statements, the, look, we're happy to work with the government of Panama on their plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and, and we think those are important. Uh, and their vision for reduction trajectories. The grid is around 60% renewable at the moment, but really only in the good months when water and wind are plentiful. And we saw in December and January uh, the case when, when that's not evident. It does struggle for renewable capacity in those drier months and, and when there's less windy conditions. So during the interim, as I said, um, I think we'll need to continue to have some base uh, level electricity production from the coal-fired um, power station, and that's certainly around our conversations with the Minister of Energy. Uh, we we recognise the importance uh, of, of their trajectory, uh, also around working with the grid. And as we saw, a shift away will also have an impact on, on power pricing in the country. Those are the factors that need to be balanced up and are part of the conversations that we're having uh, with government around the table on Law 9 uh, that we get to the right outcome there, both in terms of the trajectory to um, to meet greenhouse gas emissions targets of the country, uh, but also um, deal with grid stability and and power pricing on the grid. Thank you. The next question is from Janice Nasulas from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thanks very much. Good morning and good afternoon. Um, the, my first question is on uh, Cobra Panama. So you highlighted some operational disruptions during Q4, but how should we think about the sequential production development into Q1 this year? Shall we expect throughput rates to hit the targeted 85 to 90 million ton level? And what about copper grades, uh, which were relatively weak in Q4? Thank you. Thanks, Yanis. Yeah, so as I said, we, we have had a slower start to the year um, in, in January because of uh, two mill relines at Cobra Panama and also uh, the impact of of, of, that, of the work on the power station. But overall, across the year, we remain confident in the guidance we provided. So as I look at that, the 330,000 tonnes at the bottom end of the guidance is what we produced last year, and that was really on the basis of one arm tied behind our back with, with all the high-level protocols for COVID-19 across three-quarters of the year. And so we feel confident in that lower-level limit. Um, that production level would coincide with around you know, 85 million tonnes per annum, um, but we, we feel confident in that. The upper end of that... Of that Hello. Operator, have we lost Tristan again? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Uh, it doesn't seem so. No, his line oh. is still there. 
Austin. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you now. Thanks, Tristan. Yes. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah. So just to, to finish that off to say, the upper end there at 90 million tonnes would be significant, uh, but in terms of uh, what we've seen from the process plants in, in higher production months uh, is eminently achievable. It's, it's really, you know, stringing together a, a good period of, of performance that we've been able to achieve that. So, Yanis, I hope you did, that gives you an idea of the bounds that we put into the guidance. Um, as I said, we, we're confident in achieving those levels for this year. Great. No, that's, that's very helpful. Thank you. And uh, the second question is around the logistical challenges in Zambia that you, that you um, highlighted that are going to persist in Q1. But if I look at Q4, you managed to, to uh, deliver sales above production. So how should we think about Q1? Do you think that sales can keep up with production, or are we going to see a shortfall like we saw in Q3? Thanks, Yanis. So say definitely the worst period was in Q3, and we seem to be past that. Um, but it is, it, it is up and down. We do see some uncertainty and some volatility. So uh, it was, I think we improved in Q4. Uh, but we're still at ele elevated levels. Uh, we, we would like to be a little bit lower in terms of um, the inventory levels that we have, for example, on anodes, um, which are shipped in containers. So, you know, looking for Q1, and, and we have seen so far this year, it has been up and down. There's been periods where it's run well, and then other periods where there's been um, some imbalance and, uh, and, and not its normal, not the normal efficiencies in place. So. That's the reason for the statement that we see it continuing, um, but not at the at the sort of the worst or, or the peak um, period, which was in Q3. Thank you. The next question is from Lawson Winder from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, hello. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hi, Lawson. We can hear you clearly. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning. Yeah. Thanks so much for the uh, the update, Tristan and everybody. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, touch on uh, Panama again. So uh, uh, several um, members of, of Congress proposed a uh, a new uh, mining royalty bill, um, which uh, w which would alter the current sort of existing one, and in it it includes uh, uh, class two minerals, which includes copper, of course. Um, having a royalty that goes up to 30% uh, after 10 years. Um, uh, and, and I guess what I wanted to ask about is, I mean, clearly, I mean, Law 9 would exempt um, Cobra Panama from that, at least for some period of time. Um, but, but like, how, how long could, could you guys potentially achieve in terms of an exemption from whatever new mining code might come in? And is there a belief on your end that you can get some sort of assurances that, you know, once once the next um, um, expiration of the uh, mining license comes along, that uh, that line, Law 9, will remain in effect. Yeah, hi, Larson. So our understanding of our situation is we have a 20-year plus 20-year arrangement from the last renewal to 20 years from the renewal and then a 20-year option beyond that. Uh, and it's it's our understanding, it's the intention of the government that, as you say, Cobra Panama um, would be exempted. This new bill, if it progresses any further, would not relate to existing mines. Um, 
and you know our discussions around with governments on on the resolution of law nine contain a number of protections uh, in, that would be put into that new legislation um, that would seek protection against, for example, this type of, of proposed legislation. Um, so this uh, the bill, if it progresses, we don't think would have any uh, effect on Cobra Panama given. The, the degree of conversation and discussion around um, the war on and, and the re resolution of that uh, with the current government. Okay, yeah, that, that was my hunch too. Thanks for confirming that. And then I also wanted to uh, ask about uh, uh, the carbon price that um, you're now using in assessing um, projects and how that relates to the development of uh, Taka Taka. And I was just curious, I mean, I mean, theoretically, it would increase the cost of developing Takataka -taka and, and potentially lower the net asset value. But are there assumptions in the current feasibility study that, that could be su sufficiently adapted to offset uh, that carbon price? Sure, Martin. It's a good question. I think that's one that's relevant um, as we look forward, particularly to, to longer dated projects that might not come in for another you know, five or seven or eight years. Um, long-dated projects. So the way we look at it is um, the carbon price must form part of the scenarios. We look at those those projects, particularly um, those that are further out. But we see that the carbon price, in our view, has a, a pretty direct link to copper price. Um, that is the world that we live in where these higher carbon prices will drive uh, demand for copper. Uh, and, and so there's a, a direct link that can be made. And that's backed up if we look at um, you know, the IEA and, and their estimates and so on around where they see um, copper production coming through um, for different scenarios of, um, of both in terms of uh, climate trajectories but also in terms of, of carbon price itself. So that's the way we look at it. And so we do look at a number of scenarios around that. Um, and as you, we push in, in, in the evaluation as, as carbon price moves, it is appropriate to also look at um, at, carbon, at different copper price scenarios that ref are reflective of those higher carbon prices. Thank you. The next question is from Jatin Bertol from BNP Paribas. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thanks, Roberto. Good afternoon and good morning. Uh, two questions. The first one on uh, Cobra Panama. Uh, looks like the government is expecting a proposal from your side by June on uh, switch to natural gas or any alternative fuel. You indicated $215 million capex. Uh, so two parts into this question. When do you think uh, you will start spending on uh, this uh, fuel transition, and secondly, is it part of the uh, negotiations that you are currently engaged with government? Does does this need to be resolved as well? Because for this, the timeline is June, but looks like um, the royalty and tax agreement looks more imminent. Yeah, hi, Jackie. So, and look, it's a good question, and uh, we understand, you know, given the Minister of Energy's comments. As I said before, we're very happy to work with the government of Panama on their plans uh, and their trajectories for, um, for uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the country. And we would note um, Panama is one of the three carbon negative economies of the world, three negative um, carbon countries of the world. And that's because of the service that the Panama Canal provides in, in reducing um, the transit. Um, 
the logistics time for ships because ships going through the Panama Canal save a lot of, um, of fuel burn uh, and therefore save a lot of, of greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, but in terms of the energy policy, what we what we uh, what we would point out is the impact uh, that uh, an abrupt change uh, would have on both the stability of the grid and also pricing uh, of electricity in the country. And we saw that in December um, when we saw peak prices in Panama uh, rise to around 192, 193 dollars per megawatt hour um, because the the hydroelectric dams weren't running as well. There was less rainfall, water, and also uh, the wind. Um, they had a, a lower wind during the month. And so that is the impact of renewable energy, that it's not as reliable. Uh, and so having the coal-fired power station available as base load, we think will continue to be important, at least in the interim, until longer-term solutions are in place that underlie the stability of the grid and also the, the pricing of power in the grid. And that's the basis of our conversation with the ministry. And to answer your question, yes, it's part of the conversation that we're having on Law 9. Um, just to go to one of the details there, and you pointed out uh, the, the capital expenditure we provided of around $250 million, um, for a gas-fired uh, power station. But that was, we were not envisaging doing that in the next five years because the immediate solution uh, on renewable energy was available, uh, and that is we had fairly strong uh, indications that we could take around 150 megawatts on a long-term contracted basis as renewable power in the country. And so it would only be after that time that we would examine or understand whether to proceed um, with a gas-fired solution. That would probably be based in Cologne, where there's existing gas storage, uh, and, and alongside that, dealing with the complex logistics of, of gas um, transport to Panama. Um, and if the gas, uh, the gas turbine went in Cologne, we would also be building a power line across from Cologne um, to, to Cobra Panama, which is good for grid stability in itself, but it was a combined uh, capital that would be around 250 million. But as we said, that's only an estimated number, and we don't see that happening before around 2025. Thanks, Justin, for the detailed explanation. Just one more on strategy. You've mentioned about adding a third frontier to first quantum in addition to Zambia and Panama. Uh, looks like Las Cruces uh, will not be as big to to be called as a third frontier. Uh, so is it practically going to be taka-taka, or um, do you think the diversification helps uh, the case itself or uh, a geopolitical element, i.e. looking into things like um, Canada, U.S., or Australia, uh, considered safer jurisdiction, uh, is also part of the thinking here? Yeah, hi, Jackson. So, look, definitely, um, and the reason to point out a third leg and a long-term greenfield leg as we think it adds to the, um, yeah, exactly, the diversification of the portfolio and that that would um, start to, to reduce the level of volatility in earnings and the volatility, uh, for example, in the share price um, in, in first quantum. So longer term, we see the benefits of that strategy and we think that we have an enviable um, greenfield project pipeline at Takataka and also at Akira. But obviously, 
uh, some work to be done in terms of building the case in Argentina. Uh, we're doing that over the course of 2022 and also next year, 2023, uh, in order to get to a point whether whether we can make the decision to proceed or not for Takataka, and also the Kira in working very closely with the communities um, there uh, as to see whether that project um, could reach uh, a, a decision point. More broadly, yes, I mean we're happy to look at other areas. You know, when asked whether we, you know, we we, we look at different jurisdictions, the answer is yes. Uh, but it's we um, from time to time, and it, it's really off the basis of how well we can apply our skills uh, and obviously in, in the jurisdictions that you're speaking about there, pricing would also come a lot into you know those kind of decisions. Um, but for the time being, we're very focused on our own Greenfield portfolio because we believe um, there's significant value that we can add there um, on those projects. Thank you. The next question is from Carl Blunden from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for the time. Um, I just wanted to, to focus in on capital allocation. You've got a pretty strong cash flow outlook coming into 2022, and you've outlined your debt reduction goals. With regard to um, your preferences for the capital structure between secured and unsecured debt or, or fixed versus floating rate debt, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts at this point with uh, rate volatility increasing and and also, as, as you roll off the hedges, perhaps some, some visibility into cash flow declining, right? A high cash flow outlook, but declining visibility. Uh, interested in the, in the balance of the debt you'd have to place. Thanks, uh, Carl. Uh, do you want to take the question? Sure. Hi, Carl. Um, look, at the moment, we've got about three quarters in fixed rates and a quarter in um, floating rates with our bank debt. Uh, I guess the bank debt is, is a secure element, and, and we'll retain the banks as part of part of the setup. In the longer run, we, you would see our overall debt reducing um, as we pay down some of the debt, and, and these bonds, as they become callable and stepping down to par, we'll, we'll be reducing those levels. So I think you would see, on a relative basis, a larger percentage of the secure debt, not saying the secure debt will an absolute amount will go up. So it's just more as a factor, a factor of reduction of the, the bonds in, the, in mm -hmm. that mix. Um, I think we're comfortable with the mix of the debt we have. Of course, we can um, we can issue new notes at, at lower rates, but uh, with the cash we're generating, we definitely, the focus is on actually just reducing and, and paying back some of this debt. Mm -hmm. That's very helpful. And then just as you think about um, the, the couple of different growth options that you might have, um, is it helpful to you to have a, a more extended debt maturity runway if you were to engage in, in more expansive growth options? Or should we think of you as running a, a relatively short-dated capital structure going forward? Um, and then you know, I guess the one add-on there was, you know, would, would you intend to rely on revolver drawings from time to time? We noticed some in, in the slides, so any, any uh, update on that would be helpful. Yeah, I, I guess the previous notes we've issued it's always been sort of six and eight year notes, and sometimes seven year notes. So uh, I guess that's probably the sweet spot for us in, in that regard. So as some of this debt matures, we'll we'll repay this and address it, uh, you know, with with cash flows and other cash resources. Um, 
we do on occasion use the revolver as as we've currently got drawn, but um, you know, you I mean, it is there, it's available, but it's not intended to be used um, as a permanent and in, in permanently in the capital structure. Thank you. The next question is from Matthew Fields, Bank of America. This will be our last question. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, hey, Hannes, um, and, and everyone, I, <clears throat> congratulations on a, on a great year. Um, I just wanted to follow up on, on a, one of Carl's questions and, and just sort of flesh out a comment I think, uh, Hannes, you made, which was, is it your intent to, to uh, repay the notes as they come due? For instance, your seven and a quarter C23 become callable at par on April 1st. Is it, is it the preference of the company to simply just repay those out of cash and cash flow and not you know, term it out with longer, you know, longer dated, un more unsecured bonds? Um, Matt, yes, I mean, we, in the past, we've always addressed these notes, you know, so we, doesn't become current on the balance sheet. So that's our intention is to continue addressing debt maturities before it becomes current. Uh, I mean, we've got the option now that we've got cash generation that we can use that. Of course, the bond market is important to us. And we've only got one bond outstanding that's not callable at the moment, so that sets the pricing. So it is important to get a, a pricing point in future. Um, but it's not that I need liquidity or, you know, all the big projects are behind us. We are generating cash now. So it's, it's going to be entirely opportunistic for the company. You know, if it suits us, we'll, we'll issue a new note. Um, but, you know, there's no need to issue a new note to term out some of this debt. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. And then, um, you know, a longer-term question, you're, you're set to achieve your $2 billion debt reduction in the first half of this year, and you said, you know, another billion of debt reduction is the goal in, the, I guess, the short to medium term. Um, maybe you could put um, a little bit of a goalpost around what short to medium term means. Does that mean kind of pre-Taka-Taka development? Does that mean, you know, several years? Like, what, what, what do you think about when you mean sort of short to medium term? Well, I guess short, an accounting definition would probably be a current, you know, so they would look at 12 months. Um, and a medium would be slightly longer than that, so 18 months to, you know, two years as a max, you know. So I guess, you know, it gives you some sort of handle on that. And it's highly dependent on the, of course, continued strong operational performance that, that we have, but also the um, copper prices, um, you know, that's staying strong. So if we have strong copper prices, I mean, I think it gives you sort of a, you know, a, a good guide as to what our expectation is. Great. Well, thank you very much. Congratulations in 22. Thank you. There are no further questions registered at this time. I'll turn the call back to Mr. Pascal. Thanks, operator. Thank you, everyone, for your continued support and, and for joining today's call. Apologies again for the technical issues. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, uh, and we look forward to speaking to you again uh, at the next quarterly update. Thank you. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your line at this time, and we thank you for your participation. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.